Welcome back, everybody. It's your boy, Joey Morales, coming to you solo with another episode of the Balls, Buckets, and Bull podcast. The preseason is live and well, and football is in the air. It's a beautiful thing. I hope you are excited as I am. Uh, due to some tough technical difficulties, we weren't able to have Drew on the pod, but it's okay. The pod keeps rolling. So let's get, uh, we're going to keep on moving. We're going to break down the AFC West for you today. So first up is the Broncos. They had, last year they go 9-7. and seven. They had first round pick Garrett Bowles, offensive tackle out of Utah. Quarterback situation's a little murky. You got Trevor Simeon back there. Last year throw for, threw for 3,401 yards, completed 59.5% of his passes, 18 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. Looks like Simeon's going to keep the job for now because Paxton Lynch is just looking plain awful. Um, you, you know, you think Paxton Lynch has got to still be learning. There's obviously concerns now that he might just be a bust. Uh, there hasn't just been any much progress in terms of development. Wouldn't be surprised, though, if they still trade uh, trade out Simeon for Lynch midway through the season. But either way, neither one of them is going to be useful for fantasy. So nothing you're not really looking here. Let's talk about the receiving options. First up, DT, Demarius Thomas, 90 receptions, 1,083 yards last season, five touchdowns. Led the team in receiving and actually finished 16th in wide receiver scoring. He has seen a decrease in production ever since Simeon entered the starting role, which is kind of no surprise ever since uh, the you know, Manning was leading the helm back in his good old days. He kind of offers a little bit of low ups- upside in an offense that I think will struggle a little bit to consistently move the ball. But obviously his role in bubble screens and uh, quick throws is always uh, solidified. So I think he'll have a solid floor of catchable targets, which is very good for, uh, you know, fantasy for a good floor for uh, fantasy purposes for season long. Um, Not so much maybe for daily. Next receiver, we want to talk about Emmanuel Sanders. Manny Sanders, 79 receptions, 1,032 yards, five touchdowns, only six targets behind uh, DT. You know, Sanders provides the wheels in this offense. He's obviously much faster, and he's the deep ball threat. He finished pretty similar to Demarius Thomas in production. And, you know, one could argue that he's probably a much better pick just because you can get him much later in the drafts uh, than you would Demarius Thomas. So look for Manny Sanders to have a good season this year. Expect Trevor Simeon to probably play a little better than last year. And uh, hopefully he can get decent quarterback play in order to give you a productive season. Let's talk about the running game. C.J. Anderson, 437 yards last year, four yards are carried, four touchdowns. Obviously a ton of risk. Um, he may lose the job to Booker. He may get injured again. The strength of schedules, uh, pretty tough. He missed half the last he missed half of last season with a torn meniscus. He could be a low-end RB2 in a super deep league or a flex play in uh, you know, normal size leagues. But obviously there's a ton of concern, and frankly, I'm probably not going there. So my prediction for this for this team is about seven and nine. I think this QB situ- situation isn't a total mess, but it's really not great. Um, that with a tough schedule and a competitive division, I think is going to keep them out of the playoffs. Really, the only thing that the, this team can really lean on is it's 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 still a good defense, and uh, you know the, the receiving weapons are still good, which will I think will keep them from being a bottom of the barrel team in the league. But like I said, tough division. So let's keep on moving. We're going to talk about the Chiefs. Last year, they go 12-4. and They had first-round pick Patrick Mahomes, quarterback out of Texas Tech. They lose Jeremy Macklin and Jamal Charles in the offseason. Let's talk about Alex Smith. Last year, he throws for 3,502 yards, completes 67.1% of his passes, 15 touchdowns to eight interceptions, and actually pit, uh, put in a good amount of work in the rushing game, 134 rush yards, but five touchdowns. He led the team in rushing uh, touchdowns, which is pretty insane. 
he's the obviously the epitome of a game manager for quarterbacks when it you know when it comes to that sort of thing. He it works exactly what uh, Kansas City and what Andy Reid is trying to do. He finished 21st in quarterback scoring, only 20 points or more in three games, which is just insane. You know, that's not that's not what you're looking for in a starting quarterback for fantasy. He has he has shown good success against the Chargers, but I think they're, the Chargers even themselves are going to have a better defense this year. Uh, you know, and usually at best he's probably a bye week fill in uh, as far as QB for fantasy, but. So let's uh, let's talk about his main receiving option right now as it looks like. Tyreek Hill, the speedster, had 24 rushing attempts for 267 yards, 11.1 yards for carry, three touchdowns. In the receiving game, 61 receptions, 593 yards, six touchdowns. He had a kickoff return touchdown for a touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown. This guy just scored from every which way possible. I think the release of Jeremy Macklin signals that the Chiefs believe that uh, Tyreek Hill can become an actual receiver and not just more of like a gadget speed kind of guy. I think that they believe he can become a, not only a deep threat, but a you know, and, and develop his route tree and become a down, down the field and short receive, short receiving uh, receiver threat as well. Um, with Kelsey as the only other notable receiver in the offense, I think Hill's going to get a good amount of touches each week. And I, I think you can expect a massive dip in touchdown scored though. Um, and especially in special teams touchdowns. But I think that the fact that he'll have a much larger role and more uh, consistent touches in both the receiving and running game, I think will help his uh, value and keep it from uh, dipping too far with the lack of touchdowns. You know, he finished 18th in wide receiver scoring last year, which is pretty remarkable considering he wasn't really even, uh, he wasn't even really known until the back half of the season. I would, you know, I would definitely draft him. Uh, he, Obviously, there's really only two people that this offense can throw to, and he's one of them. So with his unique talent, he could definitely always take one in the house. So let's talk about the main receiving threat, Travis Kelsey, the Gronk number two, it seems like. 85 receptions last year, 1,125 yards, four touchdowns, finished as the number one tight end in scoring, and became the number one weapon on this offense, honestly. He led the team in yards, and he showed that he looks like Gronk, honestly, when he catches the ball and after the after the catch, you know, obviously, like I said, with, with the only other weapon being Tyreek Hill, he should see a massive amount of targets going his way and a big share of the target proportion of the offense. He's obviously currently going number two off the board, right behind Gronk, which I think is perfectly fine. Um, but you honestly could make a little bit of a case that you should draft Kelsey over Gronk just because of uh, how. Uh, how many injuries Gronk has gone through. So let's talk about the running game. Spencer Ware last year, 921 yards, 4.3 yards per carry, three touchdowns in the receiving game, 33 receptions, 447 yards, two touchdowns. He finished 17th in running back scoring. Um, He's going to have to compete for a full amount of touches with Kareem Hunt, Uh, but I think he should still be the lead back in a middle of the road offense. Maybe, maybe good, maybe middle or so. Um, I, you know, his lack of receiving role, I think limits his upside, but he's still like a RB two RB, you know, RB two flex play for most people. I pick him around running back 22 or so, you know, but I wouldn't rely on him to to put up massive numbers each week. So my prediction for this team, I think 10 and six, I think this defense can carry this team in the playoffs, probably like a, a, a buy, a buy, not a bye week. Sorry, excuse me, a wild card or potentially maybe win the division. 
And obviously with one of the best home field advantages in the league, they should be able to win enough games. So that's my prediction for the Chiefs. For next team up, the LA Chargers. That's right, the LA Chargers. Last year they go 5-11 back in San Diego. They had first-round pick Mike Williams, wide receiver out of Clemson. They lose Danny Woodhead in the offseason. Last year, Phillip Rivers throws for 4,386 yards, completes 60.4% of his passes, 33 touchdowns to uh, 21 interceptions, which is a lot. Finished 14th in QB scoring. I think, you know, obviously, like I said, he has a, he had trouble with interceptions last year, and he's going to face a tough schedule in terms of defenses. Obviously, he's got to play Denver twice, Kansas City twice. If he can find a way to keep those interceptions down, I think he could have a top 10 uh, QB season, but probably closer to a QB2 at this point, around quarterback 14. So I think he's definitely a target that you can get if you're trying to wait super late on quarterbacks. But that tough schedule is definitely concerning. Let's talk about one of his main wide receiver, uh, made receiver options, Tyrell Williams. 69 receptions on 120 targets, 1,059 yards, seven touchdowns. He led the team in yards after Keenan Allen was injured in week one. He finished 19th in wide receiver scoring. He developed a good connection with Rivers and earned a spot on the offense. And I think he should still see the volume come his way, even with Keenan Allen back. But obviously, it's going to be much less than last year. He's currently being drafted outside the top forty and wide outside the top forty of wide receivers, and I think he could definitely outperform that um, to provide flex production. And if anything happens to Keenan Allen, which you know he's shown signs of kind of fluky injuries, but still injuries nonetheless. If anything happens to Allen, he could obviously have a ceiling for much, much more. So the main receiving option, Keenan Allen. So he missed all of last year pretty much besides week one. And he, yeah, like I said, he struggled with odd injuries, broken collarbone, lacerated kidney, torn ACL. You know, assuming he can stay healthy and that, you know, the Chargers don't scale back his workload or ease him in, which is, that is a big assumption. He could easily have a top 10 season and what would be, I think, a good offense this year, but also in a good, you know, in mostly good weather games, which is very important. Uh, I would pick him, you know, I don't know, wide receiver, top to wide receiver 17, somewhere around there. Definitely even probably honestly even higher. He, you know, he has all the talent in the world and you, we know Rivers likes to air it out and gamble. So let's talk about the tight end options. Hunter Henry last year, 36 receptions, 478 yards, eight touchdowns tied for first among tight ends and receiving touchdowns. It's an interesting situation, you know, with the return of Keenan Allen, and Antonio Gates still steal, uh, stealing most of the snaps and targets. You know, Gates needs one touchdown to break Tony Gonzalez's record, and then maybe we'll see Hunter Henry get a bigger role than more than a majority of the snaps back and dominate the position. But, you know, Rivers and Gates have one of the best connections in the league, and it's very likely he could just stay on the field. Um, still, you know, the tight end position is kind of a wasteland, it usually seems like. Um, he could still be a tight end one for most leagues or some leagues, but I would pick him around tight end 13, but you know, early, you know, early signs out of, out of preseason just show that Hunter Henry is just not getting the snaps that most people thought he would. Gates is still out snapping him. He's on the field more with the offensive, you know, the, the starters it's, it's, it's still pretty clear that the, the Chargers still want Antonio Gates heavily involved in the offense. So. And it might be just one year early on uh, Hunter Henry. 
Let's talk about the running game. Melvin Gordon, last year, 997 yards, almost a 1,000-yard season, 3.7 yards per carry, 10 touchdowns, 41 receptions, 419 yards receiving, and two touchdowns in the passing game. You know, once Woodhead went down, he really took over the passing work. And now that Woodhead is off the team and the Chargers are not looking like they're going to want to fill the role with anyone else, it's looking like Gordon's going to remain in every down back. He finished seventh in RB scoring, and with the suspension of Zeke, he could merit being the fourth running back off the board. Obviously, you know, he he is he looked really good last year, and I think he sh- should earn that earn that title of the fourth running back. Uh, you know, the suspension of Zeke is looking like it's going to be six games. If they bring it back down, maybe four, but then there's also a possibility of another suspension because of the bar fight. And it's a nasty situation. So Melvin Gordon in a really good offense that's going to put up a lot of points is definitely a good pick to me. So my prediction for this team is about 9-7. and I think this team has some serious offensive power. And if this defense can improve, I think they'll have a chance at a playoff spot this year. You know, 9-7, and I honestly, I'm almost starting to think it might be even high, the more more wins and maybe like a 10-6, and 11-5 and five, uh, sort of season just to, because of how much uh, hype that this team has been getting in the offseason. So let's keep it going. Let's talk about the Raiders. Last year, they go 12-4. and four. They had first-round pick Garyon Conley, quarterback out of Ohio State. They had Marshawn Lynch and Jared Cook. They lose Latavius Murray. So Derek Carr, last year, he throws for 3,937 yards, completes 63.8% of his passes, 28 touchdowns to only six interceptions. He finished 11th in QB scoring in his third year. He had a great season, which got him a five-year, $125 million extension. You know, he broke his fibula in week 16, which caused the Raiders to go up to go to back up Matt McGloin, who also got hurt. So then they had to turn to Connor Cook for the playoffs. Lost to the Texans in the wild card. So, you know, it was definitely a disappointing end of the season. But now that it looks like he's back healthy, he has great weapons in this offense to throw to, and this offense should be able to score a ton. He's currently being drafted in the QB 6-8 to eight range, which I think honestly might be a little too high just because he doesn't have any presence in the in the running the ball. But if you can snag him a little later, I think he might be able to also provide a top 10 season. Let's talk about his receiving options. First one is Amari Cooper, 83 receptions, 1,153 yards, 5 touchdowns, finished 13th in wide receiver scoring. Entering his third year, many think that this will be the breakout year. And when I say breakout, I mean like a monster year for Amari Cooper. He struggles to get touchdowns just due to Amari Crabtree's, I mean, sorry, Michael Crabtree's presence in the red zone. If he can somehow carve himself out a bigger role in that red zone and run better routes and get open, he could definitely have a top 10 season and start to emerge as one of these elite wide receivers that we currently have in the NFL today. So let's talk about that other wide receiver, Michael Crabtree. Last year, 89 receptions, 1,003 yards, receiving eight touchdowns, 12th in wide receiver scoring. The veteran wide receiver just barely reached 1,000 yards. But it was his role in the red zone that was that, and his ability to score touchdowns that put him above Cooper in scoring, albeit only one spot. Due to Cooper receiving most of the, def, most of the defense attention, I think Crabtree will always have good looks out of the slot. I draft him around wide receiver 23 or so, uh, hoping that his touchdown and his role in the red zone will stay the same. Let's talk about the new tight end, Jared Cook. New home, obviously his great athleticism, but he just honestly hasn't shown an ability to consistently produce. I think he's more of a real real football good addition than a fantasy-relevant player. 
Obviously, it's going to be nice for Derek Carr to have a good tight end running up the seams and uh, just spreading the spreading the defense even more. So, let's talk about the running game. One of the biggest total biggest question marks in the game, honestly, right now is Marshawn Lynch. People just aren't sure: is he going to come back? Is it is he going to look great? Is he going to look rusty? Um, you know, he 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 came out of retirement and he's thirty one years old. Is that going to hurt or help him that he that he took a year off? You know, he struggled in his last season with Seattle, only three point yard three point eight yards per carry, and even then he had injury concerns. The Raiders do have a great offensive line and an offense that should move the ball, I believe, and have increased opportunity at the goal line, which is where he will probably flourish. Beast mode obviously is going to have a large red zone role, goal, goal line role, and he should probably, I think, could maybe even score double digit touchdowns kind of like in a similar role that LeGarrette Blount had last year but with you know obviously not much of a role in the passing game he's probably being drafted a little too high uh, he's being drafted at, as around RB13 and PPR drafts which is just a little too high for my taste so my prediction for this team is about 10 and 6 I think this team looked really good last year and if Beast Mode can, be, can come back looking even fresh they'll be a playoff ready team all right, so that is about it for the AFC West. We are going to talk a little bit about preseason standouts, uh, just a couple updates on injuries, updates on uh, suspensions, aka one suspension. All right, so one of the main players that has stood out right away is Kenny Galladay, the wide receiver from Detroit. In his first game, he had three receptions, 53 yards, two touchdowns. While he scored the touchdowns with the backup units, he obviously grabbed the attention of the coaches and is now practicing with the starters, which is a huge role. You know, with the one thing you know you're looking for from these preseason games and these these practices and snap counts and is you're not you know the production is great. You want to see them do good against these other players against games. But what you're really looking for is that they're playing with the other starters. How many you know reps is he getting with Matthew Stafford? That's what you want to see. You want to see the, them playing with the other starters because that signals that the coaches believe that they think they can he can be an, a starter himself. Another player, Bryce Butler. This guy always looks good um, for the Cowboys in preseason. He had two receptions, 78 yards, albeit in the Hall of Fame game. But uh, you know he always looks good in the preseason. But the Cowboys did re-sign him to a one-year deer, one-year deal, looking to fill what I think was Terrence Williams' spot. I think they assumed that he was going to walk and take more money elsewhere, but he decided to not. So they, you know, they obviously still have Williams in as the um, the Z receiver, and he's the backup. So, but you know, he's always he's definitely someone that you're if you're doing uh, a dynasty league, maybe just get a flyer on him because of how good he has looked, and eventually that he's going to take over some sort of role in this Cowboys offense. Another player I think, you know, I wouldn't say he's a preseason standout, but I just think that he might have a big year. Um, other other fantasy experts have been touting his name. That is Darren Sproles. I think he's going to have a big season just because I think I don't think the, the Eagles can run the ball like the, the Patriots did. And I think that the way the Patriots were able to run the ball and how effective they were really helped LeGarrette Blunt's uh, stats, really helped how he looked last season. So, you know, LeGarrette Blunt obviously liked to run out of formation, liked to have a fullback. And the Eagles, I don't even think they have a fullback on their roster right now. So I think Darren Sproles could have a big, big, big role that we're just not quite seeing right now. So someone who's, uh, I wouldn't obviously not really a sleeper, but someone who's being a, uh, 
drafted probably too low. So I thought that uh, uh, so I thought that uh, Rawls um, Thomas Rawls would would probably get the starting job over Eddie Lacy. Just looked like Eddie Lacy was struggling again. Uh, they demoted him, but then obviously Rawls has an ankle injury, so now it looks like Lacy's going to start for the next preseason game. So that's definitely one of the bigger running back situations to keep an eye on because somebody's going to emerge from there as a starter. And like I said, like I've been saying, a starter in, on any team is definitely going to have value uh, in fantasy football. So let's talk about the Zeke, a little update on the suspension. So he of, of officially appealed his suspension. The hearing date is set for August 29th. Um, it will be held by Harold Henderson, who reduced Greg Hardy's suspension. I think this slightly increases the chances that Zeke's suspension is reduced by a game or two, just because he reduced Greg Hardy's suspension, and Greg Hardy did some horrible things. And while while nobody's um, well, we're not really sure what actually happened with Zeke's case. Uh, I mean, there's the the details are kind of weird. Uh, the the interviews is you know you, it makes you think horrible things and then you see text mess text messages from the girl and it makes you you know kind of question her her uh, you know how how about how if she's telling the truth but either way it's just a nasty nasty situation um, it's unfortunate regardless uh, as far as football goes I think his suspension might be reduced reduced a game or two just for this. Like I said, the NFL, I believe, is still investigating him for the bar fight incident, which could also result in another suspension. But it's looking like Zeke is going to come at this that this current one with you know guns blazing. It's looking like it's going to be another Tom Brady deflate gate sort of. He's going to do everything in legal authority and power to get this suspension removed. And you got Jerry Jones backing him up, which is a lot of zeros. So. Gotta. Hopefully you haven't drafted yet. Hopefully you are not drafting anytime soon because I do not want to draft until I know the situation of him. Who could, if like let's say the entire thing. I mean he's automatically back to his third player, fourth player off the board easily. So, all right. I think that's enough. That, that's enough. Uh, just of those uh, updates on stories. So we talked about it in the last last podcast. Look, you think you know the NFL. Well, you don't. I'll tell you who knows the NFL, and that's me, and that's Drew, and that's Ryan. And to prove it to you, I dare you to challenge us at the Eliminator Challenge. The Eliminator Challenge is simple. All you do is you pick a team to win a game each week. Simple, right? It's pretty, pretty easy. The only rule is you cannot pick the same team twice in the season. In order to join the listener group of the BBB podcast for the Eliminator Challenge, Simply search for ESPN Eliminator Challenge and enter the group name and password. Each week, me and whoever I have as the guest on the pod that week will decide which team we will pick for Eliminator. Now, originally, I had had the group name as the BBB Podcast and the password as Baloney1. Since then, I've gotten too many requests of how do you spell Baloney? So, for y'all who can't spell baloney, I have removed the password. It is now a public group. Anybody can join. All you have to do is just search the BBB podcast and join. Should be a lot of fun. Um, It's completely free. So come sign up, come get humiliated. 
Try to outbest the BBB podcast. You will be defeated mightily. So, yeah, definitely join up on that. So, all right. So, as far I think that's it for the sports talk. We are going to get down into the bullshit for today. We are going to be ranking domestic beer. So, all right. So, there's I wanted to do this by criteria, but. Honestly, it's just, it really comes down to my just plain and simple thoughts from drinking the beer. So we are going to do this starting at number five. Number five, it's Natty Light. It's the cheapest beer of them all, you know, and you get what you pay for. It's great for tailgates. It's great for shotgunning and frat parties, but you know, it's, it's not much else. You're not, you know, you're not saving a big case of that and cracking them open, like to have like a, you know, at like a fancy dinner or something. You're not, you know, you're not, not even, I mean, you're not even trying to offer that to somebody. I mean, it's, it's cheap beer. At number four, Bud Light. Um, look, it's cheap and it's cheap. Did I say it's cheap? Well, it's cheap. So obviously not a great taste, uh, not as much alcohol percentage. Uh, so let's uh, move along. <laughs> number three. So the top three, um, I believe is the most contested area. So at number three for me, it is Miller Lite. It was originally my favorite beer before I knew any better. Um, Obviously, what helps is it is the official beer of the Dallas Cowboys. But I just don't think it has the A, the alcohol percentage of these other beers, and B, the taste or uh, freshness. So Miller Lite for me falls at number three. At number two, it's Coors Light. It is, it's probably got the great, the best shotgun ability in my opinion with a nice slender can and a, it's, it, it, the can gets colder than most beers. Uh, I think it has a, has a better taste than the other ones I've mentioned. It is, I mean, it's obviously it's the Rockies. It's, it's a pure, it's good, it's good beer. It's good beer. So, number one. Now, obviously, my rankings are a little biased. If you do not know me, if you do not follow me on social media, then you don't know that I am working, are working, am working for Budweiser in the fall. And so, because of that, my number one is Budweiser. Now, look, hear me out. I know what you're thinking. It tastes like shit. Well, that's not true. It has a the highest percentage of beer, which is should automatically put it in another category because it'll get the job done faster. Um, it tastes great, and it is honestly the probably the most famous of all these other beers. I mean, how I don't know how many people I've seen in movies drinking this beer. I mean, we're talking Adam Sandler from That's My Boy, Denzel Washington, Flight, Bradley Cooper, A Team. Ricky Bobby and Cal Naughton Jr. from Talladega Nights, the perfect duo. Goose and Maverick, Top Gun. Peyton Manning, the Super Bowl. Bradley Cooper again, an American sniper. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's clearly the beer of American heroes. It's the beer of goats. It is the goat, even, of all domestic beer, and it is it is rivaled by none. So that's my definitive that and that is the definitive that is the definitive ranking of all domestic beer. I had a couple 
others, others receiving notes. Um, I will sh- shout out Joe McMahon here who put up a good argument. Miller Lite was the first light beer. It even says a fine Pilsner beer on the can. But when we look at Coors Light, those mountains help you know, hands down, if your beer is cold enough to drink. It really is a toss-up between the, the two. Depends on if you're drinking from cans or bottles. Coors Light label can make your hands silver on the bottles. That's a downside for me. Additionally, Coors Light cans are oddly sized in that they won't fit in a soda can-sized fridge rack. Unlike Miller Light cans, which are universally sized. But then you gotta look at the 16-ounce cans. Another toss-up. There's something about the look of the white Miller can that catches my eye. But given the current socio-racial political climate, I will exclude this factor from my decision as I do not see color. I am not a member of the alt-light. Don't let anyone tell you that. Definitely a great, great analysis. I, you know, that that honestly put me put me at a put me at a put me at an ends, but uh, I still believe in my rankings, one Budweiser, two cores, three Miller Lite, four Bud Light, five Natty Light. Others receiving votes, Lone Star, honestly, um, only because it's the, the beer of Texas. But I honestly can't stand this beer. For some reason, it just gives me a horrible aftertaste. I think it literally tastes like piss. Um, and it's honestly not much cheaper than some of these other beers. So I don't know why you would buy that. Honestly, just stick to Budweiser. Get your higher percentage. You'll all be happy. So... I think that's about it for today's pod. Follow us on iTunes at the BBB podcast on Twitter at the BBB pod and start sending in good topic questions for us to bullshit about. This is so much fun. Leave a five-star review on iTunes and for Drew Clark, who was supposed to be on, I'm Joey Morales. Have a nice day, folks.